Welcome to the Superhero of Love podcast. I am Bridget Fonger, and I wrote a book called Superhero of Love, Heal Your Broken Heart, and Then Go Save the World. My book is all about helping people love and be loved more than ever. I believe we all have a superhero of love inside of us. Yes, even you, superhero. And in this podcast, I talk to people who are all about helping us all tap into that superhero. May this episode make a difference for your heart. Let's get this party started. While you were praying, you were praying about the angel hands? Yeah. Well, I cracked up because our grandchildren, one of them came up to me and she had, she was like doing this. It was one of those little tiny hands. Yes. Yes. Have you ever seen that Saturday Night Live sketch? Yes. 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 (laughs) She was going, see? Sorry, angel. I didn't see a thousand pairs of tiny angel hands. Oh, that's what happened in my mind. (laughs) Little tiny hands. hilarious sketches isn't it with the little Kristen Wig. Kristen Wig. hilarious oh all right superheroes we are here full of laughter with the inimitable reverend ed bacon and his inimitable hilarious literally makes me guffaw laugh snort laugh from the bottom of my soul hope <laughs> hendrix bacon welcome <laughs> Reverend Ed and Reverend Hope. <laughs> I, know, I know you're not right. You're Reverend Hope. <laughs> the irreverent Hope. <laughs> Hallelujah, we're here. We, we, had, we had all kinds of technical difficulties today because all the little pairs of tiny angel hands were involved. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so much right like so yeah. we're in the middle of a pandemic we're in the middle of the George Floyd incident right so we're we're in the middle of kind of epic dark times right now and yep. I needed that laughter so much so yep. um I, so the reason you guys I've had Reverend Ed on the show a couple of times before and so go back to the previous episodes because Every time he's on, there are beautiful jewels that he bestows upon us. And the last time you were on, we were in dark times too. It was when the um, kids were on the border, were being put into cages and stuff. So it seems like we come together accidentally during these very intense times. But we also have Hope on on here because Hope is one of my favorite new people that I met this year, really, I mean, I'd met you before very briefly. We've, we've, yeah. our orbits have collided before, but I fell in love with you this year. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I loved you from afar, but now I genuinely am in love with you. So I wanted to have you guys on just to talk about life and, and, and love. And also, I just have to say to you, because I don't think I've said this to either of you, that when I first met you, I thought, oh, this must be their second or third marriage because you guys oh, have. So old. <laughs> no, not because of that, because um, you guys are not even that much older than me, but, but because you have this spark, that you have the spark of people that have just gotten married right? Like you have this magic between you. And so that's why I've always wanted to have you on the, (laughs) and they make each other laugh. Okay. Right now, you guys, they are totally cracking each other up and they consistently crack each other up. Oh my God. So welcome. Welcome to you both. Thanks. Great to be with you. So good to see you. (laughs) 
we'll talk about current events in a second, but can we, can we dive into that little first marriage thing? My first husband, <laughs> my first yeah. wife, because Hope, I really, really adore the story of that when you met Ed, you did not know that he was going to be what he is today. So can you- No, can I you... threatened him about it. <laughs> I was not going to marry anybody who was in church stuff. No, no, no. <laughs> Church stuff. Can that be your autobiography title, please? Church stuff. So when you met him, he was a about law student uh, teaching kids with learning disabilities. <laughs> and then they they kind of went bankrupt. So we were just living on my stipend. I was in graduate school. So. <laughs> oh yeah, those were the good times. Good times. Yeah. <laughs> Dropped out of law school, right? Right. And I did. and and that that was the turn that you did not expect. Hope. Correct. <laughs> right. Very correct. <laughs> so how did you bring that? How did you bring that news home, Ed? <laughs> it's a great story. I walked out of the middle of a law school exam, final exam, and <laughs> Go ahead, Ralph. and I went to my part, and I was so excited about it because it's such a great epiphany, uh, and moments of clarity bring, I think, great joy. So, did the moment of clarity happen in the middle of the exam? May I ask? Well, what happened was uh, I had to sign an honor pledge that I would not start writing until the beginning of a third hour of the four-hour exam. So I outlined my answer for two hours, walked outside after a bathroom break, had a talk with the one, the holy one, the genuine, the universe. And we had this three-question and answer dialogue. And the answer led to my leaving law school. And I was overjoyed. I did not go back in and get my pen or my paper or any of that. I just kept walking. And I <laughs> walked to my apartment, which was across the street from the law school, and called Hope and said, you won't believe what I just did. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> just she FYI, she has a very not. somber face right now as he's retelling this. <laughs> she was not excited. So that led to 20 hours of premarital therapy. I'm back to back. We literally went to see this guy every day. 10 days, two hours a day. I mean, we were in crisis. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry, if you can wipe, I, you just don't walk, walk out on commitments like that. And if you could walk out on a commitment like that, he could, he could walk out on me, which he had done before. <laughs> it's a matter of trust, you know, heart trust. I'm, I was so glad he was having a little epiphany there, but my little epiphany is that I wanted somebody who could commit. And we knew what that was. And Ed, but you felt like you had just committed, right? Committed to oh, God? Yeah. Totally. I had committed to my true self. And that's what worried me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that's the secret. Secret. If, if that you each commit to your true self. So, so you had to come to this point of committing to him in yeah. this new landscape. So you came to a point where you did trust, obviously. Trust, but that? verify. Yeah, we got married. <laughs> we got married very soon. The next week in. <laughs> oh my God, you went through 10 days of therapy and then you got married the next weekend? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it works. <laughs> Yeah, we called off one wedding because everybody was just having to have it their way. And no, our two families are quite different. And so we just called them and said, we're coming home next weekend to get married. Do anything you want. (laughs) Just have a ball. Wow. Well, I got two days to do it. <laughs> okay. So you were, you were distrusting, 10 days of therapy made you trust, and you just jumped in and you just verified and verified and verified until today. You've been verifying all these years. <laughs> yeah. I, I must say that it, 
you know, I was terribly in love with him. So, you know, that, that didn't lead to logical thinking at all, you know. But it's a, it's a good thing. It can keep you together for a long time. <laughs> but you, so you were terribly in love with him, but you put, you put your foot down and you said, I need, you needed the therapy to get you to the other side of the, mis- yeah. the distrusting, right? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. So then divinity school. So then both of us were Baptists and in the Baptist church, you don't have to have, <laughs> right. Not only we were Baptists, but both of our parents' families were big, deep-rooted Baptists. And in the Baptist tradition, you do not have to go to theology school in order to get ordained. So... Snakes. Snakes. (laughs) So... uh, So You went out and got a box of snakes. (laughs) Right. So I got ordained, and uh, I was invited to um, be the campus minister and at my alma mater, and I had to be ordained. So I called my father, and my father was a Baptist minister. He's now deceased, and he ordained me. And uh, it was like, in, it was really quick. So all of this happened in 1971, <laughs> back in the last century. I left law school. We did all of this um, therapy. We got married. I got ordained as a Baptist, and I got a job. And she got her master's and bam, 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 bam. And all of a sudden we were from Nashville to Macon, Georgia, from law student to teacher of special education with kids with special needs. And Hope had a master's and I was ordained and I had a job. Wait, let's tell them what your master's is in. Speech pathology. And did you immediately go into that? Uh Uh-huh. I wanted you to say that because you're both in the business of helping people. You always have been. Cut to (laughs) how many kids and grandkids now? Two kids, four grandkids. Wonderful family. We're sad that you left the Pasadena area, but we also totally understand that you wanted to be near your grandkids, your kids and your grandkids. Yeah, we live near, not far from our daughter and her family. So we get to see them a lot and we're... Uh, on Facebook and telephone t- and text all the time with our son and his family in New Orleans. I'll tell you though, moving to Alabama from California, yeah, you need lots of drugs. Culture shock, yes. So are yeah. you heavily medicated right now, Hub? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I took my meds this morning. But, <laughs> but um, the South that we had lived in before we went to California was not the South we came back to. Oh, wow. Tell me the differences. Well, people were nice. <laughs> it's the, the complete red wash that's happened all over the South. And I, we got here before the 2016. Oh. I put bumper stickers on my car because my daughter said, don't do it. Just don't do it. Because her, her friends had gotten peed. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Well, I'm glad you're there. And what just happened the other day is evidence of that. So let's let's dive into that and what you guys are both thinking right now. What's the strange is that, uh, where we are in Birmingham, you'd be in this neighborhood and never know anything like that was happening because they don't talk about it. It's not. It's not. It's something that's out there. You know, um, people around here are barely wearing masks. Yeah. So you know that we're living in two cities. Right. So we're in Atlanta and also in Birmingham. Today we're in Birmingham in our home. But I have a full-time job in Atlanta 
in a very progressive Episcopal church. So it's really kind of living in a schizophrenic existence because Alabama is pretty regressive. There are great pockets of blue progressive politics, particularly in, Al- in Birmingham. And Atlanta is very different from the state of Alabama. So what Hope is saying is absolutely right. I mean, if we were to drive downtown Birmingham, there would be so many people who would agree with us about the racism and the deadly violence that comes from racism, as is the case in my church. So we always start kind of answering with a split screen answer, depending on what our context is. But right now, today, I'm planning this special live, live-streamed service from my church next Monday night, a service of prayer of grief and lament and hope. And my co-facilitator will be this African-American friend of mine. Uh, she and I have been uh, colleagues from actually back in my Mercer days in Macon, Georgia, and have maintained our relationship all the way through. So uh, it's very sad. It's, uh, it's unfortunately the same old story. And what Hope and I think, I think are committed to is having a different storyline in this country rather than, oh, this is horrible, 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 white liberals say, and then they forget about it until right. it's time to, okay, it, this is the time to change the storyline. Right. So that's what's going on with us about that. Wait, yeah. I want to interrupt it by just saying, and you don't have to do it right now, but please, can you give us some to-dos? You know what I mean? Like, sure. rather than just staying in the same, we're stuck in the same, like we're stuck in the, right. the record groove. So yeah. whatever you can do to help us step out of that record groove and take action. So I'm convinced that race has to be the conversation that's on the table and that we don't take it off. Just like we have other things that we talk about that are on the conversational table all the time, like covid like politics, like whatever, race has to be, particularly for white allies, we have to keep conversing about it. Now, you know me well enough to know that I'm all about meditation and contemplation daily, and that has to be going on so that you can listen to the sound of the genuine inside yourself to hear what your job is. And then the third answer, the to-dos, is stay in community with other people, stay in conversation about it. Then none of us has the answer alone. We have to be in community and it has to be a daily thing. And we've just got to do that. And it's very important for our conversational partners to be people of different race, different gender, different sexual orientation, different religion. Like, I feel like we need to have conversations between the two sides. Like I love, like you just posted something last night on, on Facebook that was just one beautiful sentence, which I don't have in front of me right now. It has to do with the fact that we who are not susceptible to this happening to us, right? keeping the conversation going. And we have a responsibility to do that. It's not the job of black people. It's yes. the job of white people to do this. So it was it's something our job. That. Yes. I love that. It's our responsibility because we are not susceptible. It feels to me though, like I, so I live in a liberal town. I don't have the ability to, I just don't have anybody in my orbit, my immediate right. orbit that's racist even, right? right? So like, I can't even engage in conversation not that I would even have the tools to do that. I feel like we need people like you to engage in those conversations. Are you having those conversations where you are? 
Yeah, well, that, that's the beauty of the church that I'm, where I'm working is we call it a big tent church, and not everybody agrees with one another. Thank God, and we're try, we're working very very hard to keep people who have different opinions together in dialogue. It's not easy because the thing that Hope pointed to, and when we came back, it was a different South. It was a polarized South, and it is the case that in America people gravitate to zip codes where they agree with one. Right. Like, so Pasadena is a very good example. You know, it is a more progressive town than other places, say, in Orange County. I think it also has a lot of classism, though. I mean, there's no racism, but... Right, you know, absolutely. I don't think they equate racism with classism. Or Right, you can't separate those two. Sure. Yeah. The South that you were in previously, it wasn't that the racism, isn't it, it just it, that it was there? It was just not out up front and in our faces? Or no, is it-, it, was a, it was old-fashioned racism where the N-word was used an awful lot and the, the racism was not below the surface in a kind of pernicious, polished way. And also people were living kind of in an integrated kind of situation. We live in a very white neighborhood. I mean, it, it's integrated, obviously. And that's the case, I think, throughout America right now. So we have to reach out beyond our zip code to do what you and I and Hope are hungry for. And like what Hope just said, outside your class, out, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. You're right. It's absolutely classist. We've yeah. never, I mean, all saints are so diverse. And now St. Luke's is so diverse. And there isn't a there isn't a church that we're going to hear. I mean, <laughs> we're never here, but if we were here, you know, we have a couple of places we go to visit, and um, but it's not the same. You can't. I long to see uh, designer kids. You know, uh, kids that have a an Asian parent and a yeah. Designer um, kids. I've never heard that phrase before. That's hilarious. Okay, I, yeah. I was struck the very first time I came to Pasadena because I'm a kid person and. And I got off the plane, it was like, oh, my God, these are the cutest kids I have ever seen. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it went on from there. But you really <laughs> miss that. Right. You miss it a lot. And it's, it's something that you have, you, have, you have access to, and it's more difficult. But you can isolate yourself if you want to. Or like you said, stay with your like-minded people. Stay, choose your zip code based on your like-minded right. So, okay, so how do we bust through the barriers? Well, classism, as Hope pointed out, and as you pointed out, that's America's dirty little secret. And it's easier to uh, see the race issue, but the race and the class thing are intertwined, to be sure. And I think classism is going to be harder to dismantle than even racism. And we all know how hard it's going to be to dismantle racism. My hope is that during this COVID crisis, that to quote Oprah, we can see it as a university through which all of us are called to graduate and evolve. Mm, So all of us, it really truly is a beautiful idea. And she said, um, 2020 graduates are not just high school and college graduates. Absolutely everybody is in it. She didn't call it Pandemic U, but I've begun calling it Pandemic University. And we've got to get diplomas in evolution. And each of us has a responsibility to decide what am I supposed to change? Or as 
Oprah's put it in this graduation speech. What is my essential service? You know, we're talking about essential workers and what essential work is. And she's saying everybody has to understand that their work is essential, but you can't be doing the same old thing, nor can you go back. It's got to be about evolving forward. And, and that's what I'm trying to say to my congregation. Okay, I mean, we're going to have discernment groups coming together and talking about what is my essential service. And I think that's the call for everyone. And I do think that the pandemic is going to keep us isolated physically, um, except for Zoom meetings, conference calls, for a good long time. I mean, we're not going to be going back to church anytime soon. It's just too physically dangerous. So let's go and let's get our homework done. So tell us about the discernment groups so that we can do our own little discernment groups. Well, it'll be, it'll be repeating what I said, you know, earlier. And that is that nobody can discern apart from number one, becoming acquainted with the sound of the genuine inside themselves. And Dr. Howard Thurman, who said that phrase said, you have to go to a place of stillness that's beneath the level of quiet. So I think that means that Mm. everybody has to go to a place of stillness every day, however you do it, swimming laps, walking, sitting in meditation, whatever, but get acquainted with the voice of the general. And then in community, Zoom meetings, phone meetings, whatever, share with one another what you heard the sound of the genuine say in your soul. I interviewed Elizabeth Lester today for Sunday's a forum that'll be online. And she talks about the soul. She's a genius of the soul. And she says that uh, Rilke, Rumi, all of the geniuses of the soul have said that everyone's soul has a song to sing. So it behooves each one of us to figure out what song our soul is called to sing and to be in community and share that with one another, always open for being moved by the voice of the holy through somebody else's voice along with the song of your own genuine soul to find out what your essential service is in this particular time. I want to add something about stuff that we've talked about a lot and that is and it's always said that you're responsible for the space between yourself and another person. You're responsible for what that's going to be. You're responsible for the what tone it takes on. And so one of the ways I've gotten through this amount of change is by turning to somebody and being totally present and being responsible, taking my responsibility for how the feelings are going. Because mm. it's not my little judgy self, you know, going, oh, God, I can't believe they think that, you know, it's, right. it's not, it's not going to happen. You can't think that and have, um, have communication. I know some people have trouble with that because I'm always saying in relationships, it's a hundred percent your responsibility. Like people and people are like, no, no, no. It's only 50% my responsibility. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, so I love that distinction that you just made that you in that exchange are 100% responsible for how this turns out. Yeah. Because um, you're the only one who can maintain what you want in as far as an, an attitude and be joyful. And I, one of the things that I had got over a long time ago is that you couldn't be joyful and be seriously uh, spiritual or whatever you want to call it. Um, <laughs> that the people that I know are the most joyous are, are the most religious. Yeah. The Dalai Lama, he goes all the time. So does Tutu, Bishop Tutu. And they just, they can be in the middle of the most intimate, deep thoughts and just giggle. And it, it, 
I think that's a, the right spiritual model. You know, it's you don't have to sit there and, and be profound. And <laughs> right. <laughs> it could be funny. <laughs> you guys both make me laugh so hard. One of the things that people are dealing with, and I just, uh, in my last podcast, I was talking about this, the, the anger. You know, both sides, I think, have their anger. But right now, it seems like the, the left anger is loud, very loud. And so how do we, so if people, the first thing I thought of is that somebody's going to say, I'm angry. That's what my true self says, right? And it's like, we have, to, we have to go a step beyond that. But can you talk about anger right now? Because um, it's something that we all have to manage, I think. And we all get sparked. To be sure. I think anger and fear and all of the other emotions that we call so-called negative emotions, we have, but we are not those emotions. So I have my anger, but I am not anger. Mm-hmm. I have my fears, but I am not my fears. And that is why Howard Thurman talked about going down to the level of stillness, because stillness is beneath the choppy waters that are on the surface. And that's where the emotions are that keep us stirred up. When we go to the bottom of the ocean, inside ourselves, there's not that froth. There's something beneath the anger and beneath the fear. And it is a serenity, and it is the current of love. And that's what our true self is. Love, not fear, or all the fears, cousins, like anger. Where do you put grief in there? Because I think that's something that we're coming up with as a nation. Just grief. We can't take any more. Yeah, and I think you're right. I don't think we can get to that genuine without admitting our grief and anger and fear. And that, I mean, if you, all right, I'll just tell you from my meditation practice every morning. So I start on the surface of the water and I am still physically same chair every morning, 30 years, same blanket, prayer blanket over myself. And it just starts and I begin to descend. And the choppiness of the waters, depending on what yesterday was, can be pretty rough and thick. But eventually, if I stay there, I begin to calm down. And one of the signs is that I relax the muscle around my lips. And then I begin to feel biochemically different. But you can't get there without feeling your grief. And sometimes I cry. Mm-hmm. And that's why this Monday night service we're doing is a, a service on grief and lament. And the healthy understanding of the Bible says that you cannot get to hope without going through the grief and lament. So it's a part of the whole package. I mean, we start talking about the angel hands, but we're not called, we are not angels. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are human beings. And we are called to join the human race because that's a beautiful, beautiful thing we were born into. We were born into a universe. And we were born into a and universe. we're all connected. All of that. So mm-hmm. I want to... All of that's so true. More broadly. Absolutely. Animals and trees and yeah. much better than people sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, I'm so happy to be quarantined with two dogs. Um, <clears throat> what I, I also wanted to I wanted to give a shout out for regular meditation, like you have your daily meditation practice, and a lot of us do. I do too. And you guys weren't seeing, but he was making a gesture with his hand as he was talking about going down and down and down like a diver, right? And like you go to diving school and you learn how to descend, right? right. And meditation is the same way that you learn you. And then it becomes rote and it's like, oh, I'm at this level now and I stay here until I'm ready to go to the next level, right? And the more you do it, I just wanted to say to those people that have never meditated before, the more you do it, the easier that is. And it's not that you even leave the grief faster or this anger or whatever faster. It's just that you you can even actually just swim in it more calmly and then go down to the next level. So I just wanted to give that shout out. And te my teacher says many of the same things that you're saying, Master John Douglas, he's been telling us to meditate more, right? And do more of these processes that he gives us. And last night I was in complete stillness and all of a sudden I saw my mom's face when she's angry. There's a certain anger face, you know, that she has, you know, like we all have, we know all of our relatives anger face, right? And it immediately, even in the stillness, I got, I felt the trigger or I, or I, I guess I was witnessing the trigger, you know, that normally is. And I saw in that moment, oh, I don't have to be triggered by her having that anger. She can have that anger and I can let her have that anger. You know, you're talking about um, you and Hope and I love Adelaide Hickson and she loved to talk about everybody being on their journey. So for you to be visited by your mother's anger face or angry face and then to say in the midst of that, you're on that journey and I'm on my journey mm. and I can let you have your angry face without my, my being triggered. Mm. And that is another part of stillness is that there's this paradox that gets actually experienced of we are all connected and also we are differentiated and the whole differentiation and at the same time, connectivity or interwovenness is this contemplative, non-Western, non-dualistic consciousness that takes place that has to be a part of the new storyline that we've got to create. Mm, the new storyline, yeah, that's great. So you wanted to talk, ask Hope about why she's so much in love with me? Is that what you want to <laughs> Thank you for taking me out of my, I was so still in that moment. You have me kind of mesmerized. Yeah, so Hope, this whole thing is all about finding out why you love him so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a very short thin thing we'll be able to talk about then. <laughs> I think that certain people are lucky. You know, you get lucky, you start out at the, primal pheromone level and as you as you grow we got to go together and that was now nice. that's that is the miracle and that i do want to talk about yes seriously that is a miracle because it coming together at that young an age and having it last this long i think is it takes obviously it takes work yeah it was um it was work or drowned you know yeah. mm -hmm. like it was a choice 
it truly was not a choice. Uh, there was a desperation about it, probably because I know I knew that this was the love of my life and that this was the center of my true self, hope was, and that it was worth fighting and working for to keep and protect and claim. Claim has been a really important value all the way through of claiming one another mm. when we would be in craziness, you know? And um, so we have reached out and claimed one another for ourselves and for our relationship. And I think for one another, because in claiming me for herself, she's claimed to be for myself, which is the, there is a miraculous element to it. It's not just a matter of work and it's certainly not a matter of just therapy or logical strategic thinking. There's this mysticism to it also. That fires the claiming over yeah. and over again. I want to go back to some hopes reminding us something I'd forgotten about the space between us, which is really, really, really important. And that occurs in a lot of wisdom writing. John O'Donohue, the great Irish priest, wrote a book of blessings, for instance. He's got a blessing for the exhausted in there and a blessing for people who have just lost someone or blessing for a family member who's in prison. I mean, all sorts of wild Wow. Blessings, but the name of the book is to bless the space between us. That's and beautiful. when you're talking about, is it my fifty percent responsibility or my hundred percent responsibility? It is your hundred percent responsibility because no matter what the space is, the energy in that space between us and another person, our responsibility is to bless that space, to add blessing energy into whatever other energy is going on. And I think that that's another way of talking about the claiming that went on between Hope and me, that somewhere we introduced blessing energy. And sometimes it was calling bullshit. Yeah. Sometimes it was uh, really speaking the truth in love courageously and bravely. Nevertheless, that is also blessing. I mean, one of the most important things that Hope ever turned to me and said when we were really young, she said, you know, the biggest threat to our relationship is your insecurity. Whoa. <laughs> oh, my God. You were always this mature? Oh, my God. That's incredible. She drops these bombs all Truth the bombs. time. All Truth 50. bombs and F-bombs. I love that. Oh, God. Both oh, the bombs. oh, I'm sorry. I forgot the F-bombs. <laughs> yeah, but for 50 more, 50 plus years, you know, she's dropping these wisdom bombs. Hallelujah. No, Hope, I see you have something on the tip of your tongue. Actually, I, do, I was thinking about, we haven't gotten to all of the, the stuff about the space. Because sometimes I feel like I, I just have to will myself to be present to everything that's going on. And that when I, when I get, when I'm able to deliberately, intentionally go there, everything around me changes. It's like I see the other person or it, it just enriches everything. And, and it feels very peaceful. I've used it ever since we've been here. <laughs> it's just helpful to do that. It's like, because I remember before I had these mantras in my head about it, feeling like I was 
I always have to be protective, you know, of myself. And when you just give that up and just want to see who that person is, it's better. I just had this image of guardrails, like we're walking through the world like guardrails. And I love what you just said about willing yourself to stay. That's such, I'm going to hang on to that. That's going to be a vine for me because like my mom's angry face. So what I want to do is either squelch it or run away from it. Those are the two instincts I have, right? And I don't, so neither of those is staying in the moment. Neither of those is willing myself. So appreciate that because it's my, again, it's 100% my responsibility to will myself into the present and be with her as she is or as she is not. But I think we also, when we cut cut another person that much slack, we also cut it for ourselves. I'm not giving up who I am to be fully present to you. I don't have to protect this because it, this is what I am. And I'm feeling good about that. You know, I'm feeling like I'm whole. And if you need to not be whole, that's okay. You know, and then I can bless that for you too. Yeah, because it's nobody was thinking about um, the therapy process. And that my thing is nobody, I was never changed by somebody that didn't love me. Oh, yeah, that's a beautiful one. You know, I love that, just, yeah. So I would use, I would do that in therapy, you know. <laughs> it's very important to love those kids, when it, mm. especially when they can be so irritating. <laughs> there are certain stressors to being a preacher's wife, too. Are there not? I hate it. I swear I got this chance at St. Luke's this time so that I didn't have to go through that same role because I, I can't threaten anybody. He's not going to be there long. I, you know, I can just be myself. And, and, and it's great. It's, it's a great way to be. People don't have the investment in projecting what they want you to be. Right. I don't have to do that with Hope because she's not going to be here long enough. For me to make any right. <laughs> so. I'm glad you brought up that word projection too, because isn't that part, part of what's going on in the world right now, right? That we're projecting our shadows onto or light onto. And that's, that's why it's really important to be aware that all of us have a shadow side and to do our best in community, whether the relationship is one-on-one or with several people or, you know, 2,000 people, to say, I'm here to express my light. I'm also here to be open to your showing me what my shadow is. And then do that from a point of view of what I call a banquet, having a party with you rather than taking you to court. I mean, there are people who are walking banquets and you just want to be around them. You feel safe with them. You feel seen and soothed by them. And they show you your, your shadow, but it's no big deal because you, they're not taking you to court over it. Right. But then there are other people who just have a federal case about you. <laughs> such a great metaphor you know and and it goes back to adelaide's journey stuff you know i'm on my journey you're on your journey hope's on her journey and sometimes when it's not so easy to be with one another you can say you know that person's on their journey and i'm not going to be distracted from my journey and that's one of the problems that we have have to say that without any snottiness (laughs) and you didn't make it that time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you want to be on that journey, you can be on that journey. I'm going to stay on my journey. 
<laughs> my journey is better than your journey, but and my journey is so much to be in. But that is one of the problems of political America, is that we get distracted by wanting to condemn the people who are different from us, whether they're elected or not, and instead of staying on our journey. So what what should we do? You know the anger toward the president. <laughs> you know that anger toward the president. <laughs> I've read about it. I read about it in the New York Times. My intellectual, spiritual, theological north star is Thomas Merton, and he had he was a huge correspondent, and volumes of his correspondence have been published. And he had this correspondence with an African American Louisiana Roman Catholic priest, who was telling the truth about the racism in the Catholic Church in Louisiana in 1963. And his bishop just came down on him, well, like a ton of shit, pardon me, and told him that he was defaming the Mother Church, which really got to him. And he started writing Thomas Merton. And Thomas Merton, long story short, said, you've got to continue to hold people accountable to the reality of racism in the Roman Catholic Church in Louisiana. And as you do that, your energy has got to be about loving and converting rather than hating and condemning. So that goes back to my, do you have a consciousness of courtroom or banquet? And when it comes to Donald Trump, I am the first in line to want him to be held accountable for all the deaths that didn't have to happen and, and, and. And his not wearing a mask and the kid, you know, at that pool saying, oh, well, I don't have to have, wear a mask because the bishop, I'm mean, the bishop. <laughs> <laughs> the bishop of our country, a.k.a. Exactly. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> the, the president is not wearing a mask. And so if he doesn't have to wear a mask, then he's saying that I shouldn't wear a mask. And, you know, for all of that, I'm, I'm, I am for holding him accountable. And I will distract myself from my journey. I will distract myself from my sound of the genuine to the degree that I hate him and want to send him to hell. I must be about whatever converting him. I don't think it's accepting, not convert. I hate the word convert. It's that's meaning you know doing what you think is better and pushing it on. But I have to I have to think of him as a client. I have to think of him as a, a kid that's really, really sick and can't help it. You know? True. They're gonna act out. They're gonna Yeah. True. You started it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all the way through and and that it really helps me. If I think of him that way, then I don't feel personally attacked or, you know, incredulous. I, I often get incredulous, though. I, I, <laughs> I started talking today, and I he was spinning all these facts out, and I thought, I can't listen to this. Yeah, you know, I don't. He, just like trying to, he was attacking China, and he was just trying to, you know, get America to think about something else except, you know, threatened. Yeah. So bottom line was, is that even with that, the still going into the stillness as much as possible helps us all deal with as much more love than hate. Yes. True. We get more armed with love. That is my deepest promise. Anyone who will create a habit of stillness is that they will find out that fear is not the biggest energy nor is it the strongest energy love is the strongest energy and it really will cast out fear in your in your experience that day 
in the moment of meditation and contemplation and stillness and for the whole day. I mean, if I haven't meditated for a day, hope can feel it mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I haven't meditated. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I can feel it by noon. And there have been times when she's, you know, I, I go on a night day retreat every year. There have been times when she says, don't think it's time for you to go on a retreat. <laughs> That's great. So, yep, love is the answer. And then, and having hope by your side is the answer. Oh, <laughs> and six cats. <laughs> six cats, really? Hope is always going to add the uh, more than normal. Love, hope, and six cats. That's the recipe, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> we love you. I love you guys so much. I'll edit, you know, it'll be a normal size, you know. <laughs> <laughs> if this becomes normal, we don't want to have anything to do with it. Thanks for coming, superheroes. I left in as much abnormal as I possibly could. <laughs> and I'm going to put the link to the event that Ed is doing with Catherine, Dr. Catherine Meeks on June 1st. I'm going to put a link to the recording for that in the podcast notes because this that is happening before this podcast is going up. So follow Ed Bacon wherever he goes. He is a great leader during this time that we need. We need to follow him. And if you like this podcast, please go rate, review it, tell your friends about it, uh, share it, subscribe to it. And if you haven't read the Superhero of Love book that I wrote, please go find it wherever you get your books. And thanks for coming, superheroes. Stay safe. Stay in the love as much as you possibly can. And I hope you're inspired to go into the stillness more this week. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Hope.